Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to continue our conversation that I started last uh, Wednesday, talking today about why Christians should speak out about false teaching. And last week we talked, last Wednesday we talked about communicating the truth in love. And if you're new to the show, um, one of the heartbeats of this show is to equip you, equip you in the grace of God in all of life as you seek to grow in script, the knowledge of Scripture and in the grace of God. And so one thing that we're going to be doing here on this show is we're going to be talking about false teachers. And so I'm doing this short little series, if you will, talking about the, the framework of for why we, for how and why we communicate the truth in love. And then today we're going to talk about why, why we should speak out about false teaching. And as, as I thought specifically about this episode, I thought it would be really important to uh, go to the statistics because um, to have a biblical worldview today is rare. Uh, we are, as Natasha Crane, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, she argues that we are the minority, and it's because of the statistics that I'm about to show you and, uh, re- and read to you, and also statistics on biblical literacy are getting worse. We've talked about both of these issues at length on this show, and so today we're going to talk about um, why Christians should speak about uh, speak out about uh, false teaching, but we're going to start with the statistics first on biblical worldview. Research, the Research Center at Arizona State University uh, found this in their research. 51% of adults claim to have a biblical worldview. Extensive testing through the American Worldview Inventory indicates that just 6% of the adult population has a biblical worldview. This study did extensive testing, and among the 51% that claim to have a biblical worldview, there's massive inconsistencies between what they believe and what the Bible teaches. Consider these alarming stats. 80% of born-again Christians claim they have a biblical worldview. 19% actually have one. 31% of adults say it's very important for their religious faith to influence every dimension of their life. Now, among those who say it's important for their religious faith to influence every dimension of their life, a small majority claim that they are very effective at integrating their faith into the life dimensions of family life, 56%, their personal religious life, 56%, personal relationships, 55%, Politics and government, 31%. Business and marketplace activities, 29%. And entertainment and news choices, 27%. 
adults were most likely to say that they do not integrate their faith at all into the life dimensions of politics and government, business and marketplace activities, and entertainment and news choices. One-eighth of respondents, 13%, listed each of those areas. And among those who believe integrating uh, their, their faith into every dimension of life is either a very or somewhat important proposition, a slight majority identify their church, 55%, and family, 52%, as having been very helpful at facilitating their, the integration of their faith into every dimension of their life. Now, in the study, there were 7 of 12 worldview questions for which a minority of those who claim to have a biblical worldview actually possess a biblical perspective. Another indicator for which 49% held an un. Uh, unbiblical point of view. 26% believe that the personal accumulation of money and other forms of wealth have been entrusted to them by God to manage for his purposes. 29% believe that the best indicator of success in life is consistent obedience to God. 33% believe that human beings are born with a sinful nature and can only be saved from the consequences of their sins by Jesus Christ. 47% believe that when they die, they will go to heaven only because they have confessed their sins and have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 48% believe that it's very important for their religious faith to influence every dimension of their lives. 49% say that that their most likely source of moral guidance in any given situation would be the Bible. 49% accept reincarnation as a possibility after they die. Now let's consider some of the stats on um, uh, biblical literacy from the State of the Bible, which is published by the American Bible Society. They, they found that Bible users have accounted for between 47 and 49% of American adults. However, the 2022 data showed uh, a 10% decrease from the same time in 2021. And that means that nearly 26 million Americans reduced or stopped their interaction with Scripture in the past year. And when the American Bible Society looked at the Scripture engagement numbers for the United States, one in five Americans left the Scripture engaged category in the last year. That's down 21%, or 14.7 million adults. And two in five left the movable middle, down 44%, or 28.7 million adults. Only the Bible disengaged category grew, and at an alarming rate, up 38%, 45.2 million adults in a single year. These, these statistics, they are alarming. They clearly reveal that we have issues in the church. We have issues. Big issues. We have not only biblical illiteracy, we have theological illiteracy. If people think that even the most basic of doctrines, that Jesus is the only way to God, and that that way is exclusive and it's restricted only to those who believe, as John 14, 6 says, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Houston we have a problem. We have a big problem. We have a biblical and we have a theological literacy problem in our country. 
And then and then as we zoom out, it's it's no wonder then that that we are having issues with false teaching running rampant. We have critical race theory, intersectionality. We have all sorts of issues that are happening in the church. And and we wonder what what do we do about this? How should we speak and 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 even why? Why should we care? Well, the reason that we care, as we're about to find out, the reason that we care is because we love the Lord and that the Lord has given us a heart, a new heart. He has taken our, our heart of stone and replaced it with a new heart, with new desires and new affections for himself. And so, so the reason that we would want to speak the truth in love as we discussed at length last episode, I'm, I'm not going to get into that today because we've already covered that, so I would just refer you to that other episode, please. But the reason that we would even care to speak the truth in love is because we love the Lord. The Lord has given us a, a new heart with new desires, with new affections, and these new desires and these new affections are, are to be trained by the Word of God. Our, our very lives are to be molded and shaped by the Word of God. And one of the outcomes of this is, is, that, is that we will desire to earnestly contend for the faith. And, and we care about our neighbor enough to tell them when they're wrong. Now, whether our neighbor is a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or or uh, they're holding to uh, an apo- they're holding to an unbiblical and ungodly ideology or philosophy or religion that opposes the biblical worldview, we must speak out. Jude, the reason is, is Scripture is abundantly clear about this. Jude three says this, beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, notice what Jude doesn't say. Jude doesn't say, guess what? Jump in and and speak about every single thing or, or, or just love controversy. So, so just love to, to engage these issues. No. Instead, he says he found it necessary to write, meaning that he found it necessary to instruct people, Christians, about these things, although he wished to write about our common salvation. And the reason that he writes <coughs> is he appeals to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now let's be clear about something. As Christians, we have no greater word than what is contained in the 66 books that constitute the word of God. We have no need for additional revelation today. We have no need for prophets. We have no need for apostles. We have no need for, for any such thing. If you want to hear from God, open your Bible and read it. If you want to hear him speak out loud and audibly, guess what? Read your Bible out loud. Read it out loud. The 66 books that constitute the Word of God, they are reliable, they're trustworthy, they're, you know, uh, they're clear, they're without error, without the possibility of error. They're for every phase and 
every aspect of our lives, and they're binding on our lives. We, we theologians call what I just said a verbal plenary inspiration, um, inerrancy, infallibility, sufficiency, authority, clarity, and, and even the perspicuity of Scripture. That, that is that when Scripture speaks, it, it speaks as a whole. The unity of the Bible all, is also vital because the Bible has a unity. It, it centers on the person and the work of, of the Lord Jesus. And so the, these things are vital for us because if we don't have a, if we don't have, let's be real about this, honest, if we don't have a good understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, then we are going to err as we contend for the faith because Scripture speaks very clearly about the person and the work of Christ, the character of God and his, his attributes, about who man is and what man is like, about man's sin and his need for Christ and uh, and so, so much more. And who we are as humans, and and uh, gender, and sexuality, and you know what, on and on we could go. And so Jude is saying that we are to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And how do we know that? We know it because that is what the Bible tells us. It's been said, and I agree with this statement, that the Bible is its own best apologetic. That, that is, that the Bible tells us exactly what it is and what it is about. It tells us that it is clear. It tells us that it was given by God. It tells us about its, its purpose, its aim, uh, what, what God aims to do through Scripture. And uh, it has an unfolding scarlet thread that, that centers on the person and the work of Christ. So if we're going to contend for the faith, we have to have a right understanding of the Bible. And that's why we talk about talk about scripture so much and and talk about uh you know what is the bible and what are these doctrines and what do they mean and we we bring in leading experts to talk about it we talk about why the bible is under attack and and all of these things and we're going to keep talking about that especially in the coming days especially with the release of my uh, my next book here uh, early to mid august coming from G3 uh, press G3 Ministries. For those of you that don't know, is a very large Reformed uh, conference uh, based out of Atlanta, headed by my friend Josh Bice, who also is the president of G3. He's the pastor of Pray Mills. He actually wrote the forward to my next book, "The Word Matters: uh, Defending the Bible Against the Spirit of the Age." And we're gonna we're gonna talk about these things in more depth. So I'm not gonna in the coming months and in the rest of the year. So I'm not going to get too much into this now, but let's move to the next passage. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. Now, when we talk about Ephesians, the first three chapters are about the indicative. We talked about this last week. For those of you that didn't listen yet, here's the indicative. The indicative tells us, who and what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the indicative. So the first three chapters, when you read Ephesians, they are describing, often Paul has this structure, the indicative. What has Christ done? He's telling you what has Christ done. And then he moves to tell you what you're to do in obedience because of what Christ has done. So the 
we 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 uh, we we use this language. The indicative fuels the imperative. The indicative fuels the imperative. And the reason that we do the reason that I bring that up is because, like I mentioned, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all the about the indicative, and then the the remaining three chapters of Ephesians are all about the imperative. And here we are, smack in the middle. Of, of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.11. And it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, we're not, I'm not giving a sermon on these texts. I'm just trying to work through them to, to show you what the scripture has to say about false teaching. But, but just making a very basic observation about this text, we're supposed to, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. What We need to ask the question now, what are those unfruitful works of darkness? Those are things that oppose God. They're, they're things that oppose a biblical worldview. They oppose what the Bible teaches about man, about sin, about the person and the work of Christ about about uh, the 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 character and the attributes of God and and so on and so forth. So there are things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. And what does Paul say that we're to do about these things? Well, he tells us in the last four words of Ephesians five eleven. But instead, expose them. So one of the reasons that we should care, Paul says, about false teaching is that we're not supposed to take part in any kind of unfruitful works of, of darkness. That means that, that we're not supposed to blend Christianity, uh, our Bibles, with you know, Buddhism or, or anything else. Uh, there's no mixing and matching. There's no dumping your Bible and, and whatever else you want to mix in with Christianity. There's none of that allowed. That, that's what Paul is saying. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Those are things that oppose the biblical worldview. Instead of engaging those things, instead of participating in them, instead of mixing and matching, we are to expose them. We, we, the, this is why we have the Bible. This is uh, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides it, it divides the heart. It gets to the heart of the matter. This is what the Bible does. And this is why the, the, the Holy Spirit is always aiming to, to use the scripture. And Jesus talks about this in the upper room discourse. In fact, John's gospel uh, specifically John 15 and 16, spend more time than probably any other place in the Gospels uh, talking to us about what is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. What is the Holy Spirit aiming to do? Well, again, Jesus didn't leave us without this teaching. He gave it to the disciples. It's recorded in the Word of God to teach us about the Holy Spirit. And one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to take the Scripture and, and to point us to Jesus from the Scripture. It's not to take us outside of Scripture. It's not to give us additional revelation plus the 66 books of the Bible. 
As if we needed that. Anyway, we don't. We don't even utilize the revelation that God has given to us in the 66 books that constitute the Word of God. As I read, people today, they maybe even 50% of supposed Christians seek to go to the Bible for moral guidance. How else are we supposed to know what God has said if we won't go to the Word if we won't read it, if we won't study it, if we won't meditate on it, if we won't memorize it, if we won't apply it to our lives, take it in and, and treat it as a treasure and delight and, uh, and a precious gift from our beloved Lord God. How else are we supposed to know about how we're to live and, and what we're to be? No wonder then, no wonder then, friends, that we are facing an epidemic. We are facing an epidemic uh, in our day, inside and outside the church, and we wonder why. It's because the Bible, by and large, is discarded. People may not say this as clearly, but people today think that the Bible is full of errors, it's full of myths, and it's full of fairy tales. In fact, I've been doing a fair bit of reading uh, on people's views out in the culture, and some people who are in supposedly the church. And what they think and, and what they want is they want to they want to rip parts of the Bible out about gender, about sexuality. Well, if you rip those parts out, why not just rip out the other parts? Why why not just shred the Bible at that point? But here's the thing, we don't have to shred the Bible. We can come to the Bible with full confidence that the script when the scripture speaks and it does to us, we have a God who Titus 1:2 says never lies. That means that we can take God at his word, at his promise. God is a God of promise. He's made promises. To, uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty one. the promises of God are yes and amen in who? Paul says, in Christ. In Christ. And so this is why we do not take part in unfruitful works of darkness. We don't blend. We don't try to, to try to take our blenders and throw our Bible and whatever else in, like like we're blending to to have a smoothie. We don't do that. It's that we expose false teaching because we love the Lord and we love what God loves, and that is God loves His Word. He loves his word. Otherwise, why would he have given it to us? Why would he give it to us to teach us, to instruct us? And besides, what other truth do we have? We have none. We have the Bible. We have the word of God. And we don't need anything else. And so this is to be our motivation about why we expose those unfruitful works of darkness. That is why we are going to expose false teaching on this show and false ideologies that do not cohere with a biblical worldview. Now, we spent a lot of time last time talking about 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26, but I, but I want to go back to this passage, and I probably will quite a lot. It's one of my favorite passages. It's, it's, a, it's one of those passages that that should make you stand up and and really read it, digest it, and really understand it, uh, especially if you're a church leader, because it, the you know First and Second Timothy and Titus they're written to church leaders, and so um, I want to read this passage and walk through with it 
with you again. 2 Timothy 2, 25-26 says this, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now remember, we, we looked at Jude 3, contending for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. That's, that's in the scripture. Uh, we're, we're to uh, expose the unfruitful works of darkness with the word of God and, and expose them. And now what Paul says to Timothy, his, his prodigy in ministry, the, the, the young man that he is mentoring who will become the pastor at Ephesus, he, he is told to correct his opponents with gentleness. Now, if we remember Galatians 5, through 23, it tells us one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is gentleness. And remember, as we talked about last week, these are fruits that the Holy Spirit is producing in the life of every single Christian. So no matter if you have a PhD in, in theology or if you're a lay person, the Holy Spirit is producing in those who are born again and indwelt by the Spirit of God, He is producing these fruits of the Spirit. He is. He's producing them because they display the beauty and the glory of Christ. And so when Paul says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, he means that. He doesn't mean take your Bible upside the head and, and beat them over the head. I, I remember... Very well, I was on the campus of Boise State University, and I was with a well-known apologist in, in the Boise area. He is very well-known. He has a ra- massive radio following and podcast and, and uh, apologetic ministry. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. If you know who it is, then you figured it out, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. But I was with him, and uh, we there was this, uh, some of the guys that were there were doing open-air preaching, and and those kind of things. And we were doing one-on-one uh, 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 apologetics with people, asking them questions, getting to know them, uh, dialoguing with people on the campus of Boise State as they would come and go and walk past us and so on and so forth. Well, this atheist was very upset, very, very upset about the fact that these guys were out there preaching in the public square, they, they were upset. And so this atheist came up to us and said, wanting to argue with us, to get us distracted. To, so I said, hey, let's, let's, can we go talk? This, this well-known apologist came and, and talked and, and was with me. And, and while we're talking, uh, my, my friend, the apologist, is over here uh, arguing semantics with this, with this atheist. And, and I simply... When it was my turn, I kept asking questions because he had a central claim that, that the Psalms are pagan in origin. And I, I asked him, I pushed him I, to admit, do you, how, what's the source? I told him, I said, in seminary, I studied the Psalms. So I, I, I read quite a bit about, you know, the Psalms and how they came into being and so forth and who wrote them and so on and so forth. And um, I had never heard of that. So I was, I was curious to know what was his source. And so I kept asking him, hey, you know, um, you made a claim there about the Psalms being pagan in origin. You know, um, when I studied in seminary, the, the book of Psalms, I studied in, in, in fairly deep detail for, you know, um, a good while. And I've gone back to that 
to to study the Psalms. I've never read that before. Can you can you tell me the source? The source for your claim. Well, meanwhile, my friend is over here, this my friend the apologist is over here sitting arguing semantics with this gentleman. Uh, probably I think it was arguments for the existence of God and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, he made a specific claim. And and I kept pressing him and I, and finally I just kind of took over the conversation. I, I said, "Can you prove beyond a shadow of the doubt that the Psalms are pagan in origin, as you stated so clearly. And if you're not, are you willing to refute the argument? And finally, he said, no, I can't refute it. Um, I, I, can't, I can't refute it. I don't know the source. I said, well, are you willing to refute it? He said, no. But then he, I said, well, how about you just walk away and, and just leave us to be? Because you can't prove your argument. And we're trying to help people here. We're not trying to harm them. We're, we're trying to have conversation with people and we're having a conversation with you. And and nobody's trying to be hostile here. You know, you, you were pretty rude to my friends over here, but the guys that were preaching and, and we're, we're trying to sit here and talk to you. Are you going to refute your claim? And he ended up just walking away. And as he, he turned around and said, well, well I'm going to go tell the campus security. I said, you go right ahead. You know, we have multiple witnesses about how you behaved. We're here. We have constitutional right to be here. We're, we're not doing anything illegal. See, see, the point that I want to make here is this. I wasn't rude to this gentleman. I was trying to correct him. What gentleman, at, at the same event, at the same event, I'll never forget it. I was talking with the Jehovah's Witness. Now, I know very well that the Jehovah's Witness doesn't believe in have the, the same understanding as I do, as we do, as Christians, of the person and the work of Christ. But I ask him to have a conversation with him. Who do you think Jesus is? He's passing out information. He's passing out tracts. And he said to me, he said, I don't believe in the Jesus of your Bible. And I said, whoa, what do you mean you don't believe in the Jesus of my Bible? In my Bible. And he said, you know, Sir, I'm not here to argue with you. I said, okay. I'm thinking, okay. I'm here to tell everybody, I'm tell, here to tell people about what I believe. And you have something to learn. And I said, oh. And I could tell he was getting very agitated and very upset. And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm just here to have a conversation with you. Well, no, I'm, I'm here to tell you. You're not here to tell me anything. I said, whoa. And um, I said, sir, I just want you to know, and this was one of the last words I said to him, I said, I just want you to know that doctrine matters and what you're saying is actual doctrine. And then I, and I turned around and I walked away. Well, later I told my friend, who is the well-known apologist, and this was a good example. I said, hey, bro, you should go talk to this, to this Jehovah's Witness. Who's passing out tracks? And I told him why. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go do that. That sounds fun." So, so my friend is talking to this guy, who's handing out tracks, standing there in the same public squares we all, as my friends are, and talking. Now, he's engaging him, and then towards the end, we're we're filming it. We asked if we could film him, and he said, "Of course, sure." He said, "At least you're you weren't as rude as." the gentleman holding the camera, talking about me. And all I had asked him is who he thought Jesus was so that I could have a conversation with him. 
the 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 point that I want to make here today about this is we need to do it with gentleness. We we might even ask somebody a question, but but the question is is to invite dialogue. It's to invite discussion. It's not to my goal, my motivation in that wasn't to win points or win an argument because I, I know that I can't open his eyes to see the truth of Christ. My job is to be an instrument. My job is to be faithful to the word. And to do so, as we talked about, to speak the truth in love. And it matters not just that we say the truth, but it matters how we say the truth. And that's what Paul is getting at in 2 Timothy 2.25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Not taking the Bible over that, that atheist's head. Not, not engaging him in his, in his own arguments, unless he makes those arguments and he makes those claims. But see, the atheist, he made a specific claim. And I wanted to know, how do you know that claim? Can you substantiate that claim? And if you can't, are you willing to retract it? You see, an intellectually, dishonest, an intellectually honest person, a person who's actually wanting the truth, when they're confronted and, and, they, and, they're, and they ask somebody else, hey, are you willing, where's the claim that you make? Who's the source? So I can go look it up. And we can come back and we can have a conversation. I would have with this guy. I would have had a conversation with him. But he wasn't willing to refute the claim. That, my friend, is intellectual dishonesty. That's intellectual dishonesty. If you're not willing to be honest about your arguments, about what you know and what you don't know, then you're not intellectually honest. You're intellectually dishonest. As Christians, we should never, ever, ever be intellectually dishonest. We are told in the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our mind and with all that we are. And, and we have been, been given the ability in the new birth to, to do just that. We are to love the truth. Remember, remember what we talked about just a minute ago in Jude 3. Jude very clearly tells us to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, we have the truth in the word of God. We don't have to be, we don't have to get upset. We don't have to take it personally that the atheists or the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon, that they're trying to win an argument, that, that they're trying to make us look or, or feel dumb or stupid or anything. All we have to say is, you know what, sir or ma'am, I don't know the answer to that, but can we come back and talk about it? Because um, I want to look at what you're saying and I want to look at what scripture says. Uh, can we come back and have another dialogue about it? That actually invites, that actually shows intellectual honesty. It actually shows humility. It actually shows a great deal uh, about uh, of care and concern for the other person and, and a desire to continue the discussion. But but when you well, when somebody doesn't when when somebody just engages as as that Jehovah's Witness did, oh well, you know, I'm here to tell somebody everything. That turns everybody off. We should never, ever do that as, as Christians. We are to correct opponents with gentleness. Not to shame them, not to belittle them, not to thump them over the Bible. That, that's not gentleness. And Paul gives the reason, he says more in verse 25, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth in 2 Timothy 2.25. Now this this is so important. Remember, Paul starts this discussion talking about the motivation 
for correcting opponents. And that motivation is grounded in gentleness, which is a fruit of the Spirit, which the Spirit is working into the heart, into the life of every Christian that's, that's born again. And then Paul says the reason to Timothy that this is happening is that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The truth being grounded in the word of God. Verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's another fruit of the Spirit, the same one, gentleness. So the faith that Jude speaks about is known, it's received, it's the body of truth about Jesus and salvation through him that have been once and for all delivered to the saints in the word of God. Paul in Ephesians 5.11, with exposed, he means to convince through argument and discussion at the same time, taking care not to gossip or slander others. And so Christians should show by their lives and, and by their wise interactions that the works of darkness are not to be ignored among the people of God. We should care. We should expose false teaching. 2 Timothy 2, 25-26. The opponents Paul has in mind in 2 Timothy 2, 25 are unbelievers who do not have a knowledge of the truth or salvation. Christians are to correct opponents with gentleness, as we discussed, which is a fruit of the Spirit that indwells them. Paul here in 2 Timothy 2.25 stresses the sovereignty of God in granting repentance to those who oppose the truth. And come to their sentence means that although the fall brought about a destructive effect on human reason, salvation brings with it the ability to see reality. And so Paul's reference to false teachers' lack of knowledge and understanding in the epistle in 2 Timothy 2.16, 2.23, 3.8. It points to the fact that they fail to grasp what is true in Scripture. And the snare of the devil is Paul's description of humanity enslaved by the devil and in need of the rescue that only the person and the work of Jesus can offer to them. Now, first, first uh, Peter 3.15, it focuses not just on the manner of our speech, but how our speech is a matter of, of our character and our witness. So let's, let's summarize this briefly, and, and it's this. Out of concern for those ensnared by false teaching Christians and dwell by the Spirit, we confront false teaching out of love for God and love for others. And as we do, we boldly proclaim the word in love and entrust our efforts to the Holy Spirit to open hearts to the truth of the word. And so this is why we as Christians should speak out about false teaching. This is why on these episodes that are coming up, uh, we're going to talk about the Passion Translation and, and, and about the author of the Passion Translation. And we're going to talk about Bill Johnson and, and uh, many, many, Todd White and others in these episodes. We're going we're to talk about, a lot, as my book comes out, we're going to talk about issues that, that are affecting the church in in multitude of ways on the personal work of christ to our humanity to to uh sin and and so much more and and the reason that we're doing so is is to help us to have a biblical worldview and so that we can expose the fruits expose the darkness 
with the truth of God's word. See, God's word teaches very clearly about itself. That the Bible is not silent about the major issues of the day. They touch on who we are, how God made us, about the, the about the the character and the attributes of God, about sin, about salvation, uh, about things that really really matter, things that shape and define our lives. And so, as we do, we're going to go back to the Word of God again and again and again and show what Scripture says and why it matters. Not just because the Bible is relevant to our lives, but the Bible is foundational to our lives. It's the very word that we stand upon and we declare. And we are to contend for the the truth. We are to do it with gentleness and respect. And we need to do it. We need to do it. We need not to be apathetic about it. We need to stand up and we need to do so out of concern (coughs) for people entrapped in false teaching. So I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. And until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.